Several years ago when our kids were young, we were struggling like every other family trying to get to church just to get out the door. And uh, some days that goes better than others. I still remember those days. They still kind of make, you know, bring some trauma every once in a while. And then, of course, like, you kind of have the shift, right? Like you go from like the crazy to like, okay, you're going to come and sing songs about Jesus and every, you know, like your blood pressure's down and that vein's not popping out of your head anymore and all those things. So we were on the way to church. It wasn't going well. In fact, the uh, trauma of getting out the door had continued into the drive down Scottsville Road. And uh, we were all at kind of at each other. The level was up here. And I pulled up to a stoplight. And in the midst of the noise and the crazy and the yelling in our car, I looked over and there was a family from church. <laughs> Without thinking about it, I said, hey, everyone, the people next to us are church people. Start acting like you love each other now. Go. That being said, I tell you that story not because uh, we tried to put a veneer on the thing as we were raising our kids. We tried to be honest about the struggles and the opportunities. Um, uh, I tell you uh, that to, to remind ourselves that this is a challenging job and an important one. And especially as we think about the task of raising kids and an accomplishment culture. And uh, uh, really sort of the underbelly uh, belly of success and really, the, you know, you can't, you don't, want to say uh, we don't want to do good things and, and do important things in life. But in an accomplishment culture, it can be easy to raise your kids thinking that the more we do, the more we add to, the better they do at certain things, and we have these measures, then that we do all of those things, whether those measures be academically or in sports or in extracurricular activities. We have these measures of success. And if we do all of those things, then uh, we, will, we, we will have done the best thing we could for those kids. And not just in raising our kids, but just in kind of in life in general, in accomplishment culture, we kind of make the list of the things that we set out to be the measure of success. And when we meet those measures, we feel like we have succeeded, that we have done well in life, that we have secured our legacy, any, in any number of ways of thinking about that. And today's scripture helps us understand how to navigate that. Because it would be easy to say, well, you know, we just got to sort of avoid all that and kind of step back and not, not be part of society, but that's not really an option. And what we've been talking about in this series is how we be dis are distinctive as a people while we live out our lives, as we go to sports events, as we're involved in schools, as we raise our kids and navigate the influences around them, and as we live our lives and try to figure out how... The, the love of Christ becomes something distinctive in us. Today's scripture helps us see that. As we join together in this task of raising children, uh, as we kind of see that as part of our calling as a church, part of our distinctiveness as we um, are in this together, as we fulfill the command of Jesus together to let the little children come to me. Well, today's passage is sandwiched between two stories. And knowing those two stories helps us understand what we just heard in the middle. The story before what we just read about the little children coming to Jesus is the story of a pompous religious leader, a Pharisee, who is praying before God and is noticing a less successful person, a tax collector, beside him. And this is what we read. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Now, don't 
don't say out loud. You probably have prayed this prayer without kind of even realizing it. It's kind of what we do. Like, oh, at least I'm not as bad as other people. You may never say it that way, but you sort of deep down kind of feel like, oh, there are probably people better than me, but there are definitely people worse than me. So this is the Pharisee. God, I thank you that I'm not like some other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, accomplishment. I give a tenth of all I get, accomplishment. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. And he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, Jesus said, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. And then this, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. What is humility in this context? We're going to find out in a second. So then immediately after the story that we read this morning about the little children coming to me, we find another story. A certain ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Again, you put this through an accomplishment lens. What are the things that are on the list that will help me secure my future, my legacy uh, to live well? Jesus sort of stops him in his track. Why do you call me good? Jesus answers, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And Jesus begins to list the things. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Seems to me like that's a pretty low bar, by the way. Hey, I can do those things. I'm good. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. And my guess is that it isn't just that he has one thing on the list that he has failed to check in his life. But the one thing is the thing that helps the rest of it hold together. And that's what we're talking about today as well. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you take those two stories by themselves, it can be a story about how to pray and how not to pray. It can be a story about how to manage wealth and how not to manage wealth. But you dig deep, a little bit deeper below the surface, and there's something else going on here. What do those two people on the, the, the edges of these stories, the, the two people on the bookends, what do they have in common? Their success has meant that they can't get out of their own way. In fact, the very thing that they're trying to do to succeed in life is actually keeping them from being able to get to the thing that is most important. The Pharisee and the well-to-do man think that they have secured themselves through being awesome in some way or another. And today's story falls right in the middle. These, Jesus is teaching and it's just the opposite. People start bringing their babies to Jesus for him to bless them. Now, we secure that moment in a very, you know, we try to organize that, right? I mean, it is sort of like herding cats with, you know, with kids, right? But we, you know, we have a moment for that in worship, right? Like, but this is sort of like people interrupting the sermon to, to do that. And the disciples who are the, you know, sort of his um, bodyguards, his, his gatekeepers are trying to push the babies away. Jesus sees this, and as Jesus often does, sees it as a teaching opportunity. 
and uh, the disciples who thought they were kind of keeping the, the little kids, um, this rough and tumble bunch of children, quiet. Children should be seen, not heard. Jesus says, no, bring, bring them on. And then says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So what is the difference between these children and the two people that we read about in the bookend stories? Well, they really don't have much to offer Jesus, right? Jesus uses that as actually an opportunity to make a point. And Luke uses it as an opportunity to make a point as he tells the stories. He, he puts the story about the children right smack dab in the middle of people whose very success is keeping them from having success. And then he points to children as the alternative. We find that Jesus often spends his time with these kinds of folks, people who really don't have much to offer in return or who don't let that, that get in the way. And of course, we all start out that way, don't we? We we all start out pretty helpless as little children. I remember when our kids came home from the hospital. I remember the first time we put a car seat in the car and thought, this is weird. I remember they do the little tests, you know, when you're in the hospital to make sure you know how to fit your kid in a, in a car seat. And then you do, and they're like, okay, you're good. Like, that's the test. You're ready to be a parent. And I'm thinking, I, shouldn't there be some more things we talk about here? And then those kids went home and they slept in the hospital, I think, and then refused to for like the next forever, right? And we're, it, was just, it was just hard. And, but the thing about them is they're just so helpless. They're just, they just eat. And then they sleep during the day while you're trying, you know, and then they, you know, you got to change diapers. It's just like they're, they're so helpless. We all start out this way. And there's a purity in that. There's a simplicity in that. Those are also precious times. I, I remember when Luke was born, um, my brother-in-law gave us the North and South series, and we just held him and watched, watched that. And I, I mean, just like you have these little moments of like, you're just kind of like you stare at them, right? And you think, how did we do this? It's, it's amazing. I've stared at my kids a lot over the years, sometimes with that same wonder, and sometimes with a different feeling. Because as we get older, the trappings of success and failure start to play in, don't they? We come sort of helpless into the world, but then we start adding things to our list. And we feel like we're either successes or failures by some list of things, whatever it is. The Pharisee had his list, right? The rich young man had his list. And so then we make our measures of what is it, true, true success is. But Jesus says those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. It's sort of a, a paradox. We sometimes talk about children having that, that hum, humility, not in the sense that we, we have a low opinion of them or they have a low opinion of themselves, which is sometimes what we mean by humility, thinking that you sort of think too little of yourself. But Christ didn't sort of had humility, but he didn't, he, he didn't really have a, a low opinion of himself. It had to be something else. And so I looked this up and, and been thinking about it, and someone has said it this way. It's not, humility is not uh, thinking too lowly of yourself. It's not thinking too highly of yourself. Or this, 
If you are humble, it means you don't let status get in the way of doing whatever love requires. And maybe you can relate to that story, like the success and failure thing can become this whole thing and it, it becomes an obstacle to simply being present and simply doing what love calls us to do. And children teach us that true success is about loving well, being present, being in the moment. This week we had our early learning center picnic, which is part of the fanfare that is the end of the year at our preschool with graduations and parents and grandparents coming in and then a a picnic and a celebration on Monday night uh, and we grill hot dogs and people bring food. So I got a plate together and um, sort of it's like one of the places where I I get to remind myself I just need to be there and see you know be present to people and so I sat down and Eric Druin and Abram were sitting on the curb and I began to talk to them and Abram uh, I I learned uh, from Molly his mom who's on staff I know Abram but not super well he goes to the the early learning I mean he goes to the Greenwood campus and um, so we're buds a little bit but um, but on Monday night we became really good friends and I was just eating, eating my food, and we started talking, and I learned from Molly that his love, um, Abram's love language is um, talking about sharks or bugs or Pokemon, which I don't know anything about Pokemon, but sharks, sea creatures, and bugs, I'm all into. So we just had a connection. We started talking. Well, I noticed that the energy level was going up. Like, he, Abram was driving the conversation. Like, what about sea turtles? Oh, and then we talked about sea turtles. And he's like, What's your, if, what are your t- top three favorite animals? And so we were talking about that. And then I noticed that as we were talking in the conversation, he was starting to get more animated. And he was starting to like move around. And then he was like circling me. Like, I was like, where, where are you going? And he was like so excited about it. And then I noticed he just came up and he just put his hand on my shoulder and he started talking about bugs. And then this happened, you can kind of see here, like he came around and it was just like, he wasn't close enough and he just had to like, he just kind of, kind of sat down on my knee and we were buds. What I felt like in that moment is a reminder to me of someone who kind of has a long list of things to do. Like the blessing is like, it's not just me serving our, our you know, our, our church. It's, it's creating opportunities that we can be blessed like this to be a blessing. And, um, Abram certainly blessed me the other night. And I'm always, you know, I've always got a sermon going in my head. I'm always thinking about scriptures. And I thought this was, this was the scripture. Let the little children come to me. And it's not just so that we can bless them, but also that they can bless us. And ask any grandparent and they will tell you it's just about that. It's just about being present and not have to worry about all the other stuff, right? Any grandparent will tell you this. I hear it all the time. A few uh, months ago, probably 18 months ago, we had one of our, grand, our parents, uh, our people at 11 o'clock become a grandparent for the first time. And um, he sort of showed me enough pictures that, you know, you're like trying to be nice, but like they're just more pictures and more pictures. And um, like life became a celebration of, of every, every conversation sort of took this turn. So it was a little suspect, but not long after that, he began to volunteer not the 11 o'clock service where he goes, but at the 9.30, under the guise, it was to get to know people. He's a leader in our church. He wanted to know people who go to this service. But what I began to notice was there in the atrium, as people were coming in, he was getting out his phone and showing them the picture of his grandson. It was all just a ploy. He had worked everybody else over, and now he needed a new audience. 
Could it be this simple? Even in the midst of parenting, which you don't have the luxury of not having to do the hard stuff, uh, could it be in the midst of all the activities and the sports and the accomplishments and the school and the long list and the daily logistics meeting because this practice changed and we've got to like do this thing? Could it be that there is something at, that, that holds all that together and that it is just this simple, that it is the ability to love Jesus like a child and to love a child like Jesus? Think about that for a second. Listen to how Matthew's gospel tells the end of the story and how Jesus responds. Jesus says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. He says something similar in Matthew 25 when he says, you, you were there for me when I was hungry and when I was naked and when I needed help. And they say, when were we there? And he said, because when you welcomed the least of these, you welcomed me. It's the same word. It's the same idea. It comes with this, this ability to let the rest of it just kind of, and it doesn't mean that the activity necessarily stops. It means that there is a center that holds in the midst of all of the crazy. Whoever is able to be present with a child and present to me and bring those together there's, that's something powerful happens. I just want to remind us that uh, even in what we do here uh, in church and what you're doing out in the, you know, and raising your kids and kind of all of us together, that this is not about a program. It is about, it's about presence. Not long ago, Nick Crawford sent me a picture of his daughter, Emerson. Nick was volunteering at our 11 o'clock greeting. And Emerson was at the table and she got her, you know, her snacks, which are like a big deal, right? And goldfish, and she was sitting there. And then these ladies from the 11 o'clock service began to circle her. And he just looked over and, and grabbed this picture. She, Emerson was holding court. But I don't know, do, do you know any of those, those ladies? I mean, if you don't, let me just tell you, like, if you could pick people to have your children around, it's them, you think about the generational impact that we have, the love and the wisdom. I mean, that picture captures that, and there's no program to it. There's a, a family that comes at 815. They have two kids. And there is another family that comes at 815, and they're, they're um, great-grandparents. And um, they, they have family, and they're connected to their family. But um, you know, basically, at 815, none, none of that matters, because at 815, like, they're like, they're in. The kids come every week looking for John and Alice to greet them and be there uh, to love on them. During COVID, when we weren't able to be together, uh, the, the kids, they would take the kids over to John and Alice's yard and they would make a connection even when they couldn't breathe the same air. This is not a program, it's about presence. Recently, we had Senior Blessing which some of you know is sort of the end of the process where we raise our kids up and then we bring them here as high school seniors. We sit them right here in front of us. Parents sit on either side or beside them and speak life into their child who's getting ready to graduate. It's excruciating. It's one of the hardest and most beautiful things. Uh, and we've done it now twice and have survived it. Uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. Like, what do you say in a few words to this, this baby who's no longer, you know, you, you know, this little thing that you're looking at and wonder, but it's getting ready to launch into the world. 
And I was able to say some things to Isaac this year that I felt like I just wanted to say to him. When we did it with Luke two years ago, it just happened to be about three days after he had made his Olympic trials cut in swimming. And we sat down and, 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 and in that moment, I felt like the most important thing to say to him was, I was so proud of him, but that he didn't need to do that. He didn't need to accomplish for me to love him. That I never wanted that. I just wanted him to find healing and wholeness and fullness of life. And swimming can be that. Sports can be that. I just want to tell you all who are navigating sports stuff with kids, sports can be a tool for this if we keep things in perspective. Education can be a tool for what we're trying to accomplish. It's not that we have to pull out of all these things. It's simply that we need to keep our perspective in them. All of you who are working with kids, and God bless you in your profession, uh, this is important work, and we realize uh, the challenge of it, and we are here supporting you and praying that in some way you are finding the ability to be present to Jesus and present to kids, and we are in it with you. As we do this work here at church, I just want to ask us to keep that going. I want to keep that on, on the forefront for us as we serve in Kids Zone, that what you're doing is being present to Jesus and being present to kids. As we serve in the community, this is a big part of what we do. Yeah, um, Friday, we had a funeral here, and um, the person who passed away was in education, and so there were a lot of educators and one of the, to, to, who had come to visit, and one of the people that came was Judy Whitson. And some of you will maybe know Judy was the pr uh, principal at T.C. Cherry Elementary School when we started our first community partnership, mentor, mentoring in schools. And it had started because we went to Judy and said, is there any way we could help? And she said, mentoring makes a difference. And quite literally, all the things that have followed, including the foundry and including several of the things that we do in the community came out of that conversation. And Judy was here, you know, just, but, uh, just for a funeral. But when she saw me, you know, we, we, and I feel the same way about her. It just, we sort of lit up because we have something special. And it's not just the work that we've done. It's the connection that we've made. Um, and so we caught up on each other and she said, I just hope your church knows just the profound impact y'all have had over these many, many years. And so I want to thank you all for being present to children, to be being present to Jesus and to keeping this commitment, this promise that we make to them. This is one of the things a community can do. Because as parents, I think we often feel like we can't do enough. And the truth, truth and that we're always going to mess it up. And I think in some ways that's probably true. But the good news is that we don't have to get it all right. We can have a group of people around us that is supporting us and loving us through that. So in some way, I ask you today to offer yourself to this commitment, to being present to Jesus and to being present to children, whatever that means to you. And as we give in our offering, as our offering ushers come forward, let's pray together and offer ourselves in Jesus' name. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your presence with us and your grace that is never ending, the source of all that we need. And so we lay down our accomplishments. We give up on our, our programs we, we let go of our list of things that mean success to take up something more profound, being present to you and being present to one another and specifically present to children. 
so that they might be the light of the world, so that they might be those blessed to be a blessing. So would you help us, encourage us, lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.